see you today. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. And, and I, before we get started, how many of you recognize any of those sitcoms, right? Okay. All right. But another question. This is also for you at the Appleton campus and the West campus uh, and also online. How many of you had a television set that looked like that 13-inch black and white? Tell the truth and shame the devil. Amen. Just touch your neighbor and tell them it's over. I'm telling you. My kids don't even know what that is. Like a knob? Like my grandfather used to say, you have to shake hands with it. You know what I'm saying? To get it to turn. 13 channels, remember? UHF, VHF. Okay. Well, it's great to have you today. And can we welcome our West Campus, our Appleton Campus, our online campus today? Amen. It is great to have you with us. And if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. That's in the Old Testament. So I'll give you a, a minute to get there. If you need to go to the table of contents, there's no shame in your game. Just do that. Do what you need to do there. And uh, I'm gonna, uh, we're going to get there in just a minute as we get into this new series. But I, I want to brag on you just for a second before we get into today's message. We finished our series last week on Balanced. And we were talking about the, uh, what the Bible has to say about our giving, about our money, about our stewardship of our resources. And, uh, and last weekend, I really challenged you as a congregation to just make sure that you're living out generosity, even extreme generosity, and really kind of pushed you a bit in that direction. And I made a comment, I, I, kind of an illustration, I didn't have it in my notes, but um, but, uh, that, you know, maybe you're here and you're, you know, you see a single mom and, and the single mom, you, you see, she's got a vehicle that's in need and repair. And you think somebody should do something about that. And, and maybe that's you, you know, that our generosity. And, and as a pastor, I'm not preaching this so that you give more money to the church. You're very generous to the church, to the things of God. And, but there's times when God speaks to your heart as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you need to do something for someone else to help someone else. And so I got an email earlier in the week, right after that message on the weekend, asking if I knew of someone. And I, I, I didn't have anybody in mind at that point when I was saying that in the weekend service. But I said, yeah, I, I do know. Because as a pastor, there's just times where you're privy to information and people and kind of what's going on. And the individual said, I really feel like God spoke to my heart in that weekend message that I'm supposed to buy a car for a single mom. 
And uh, can we do this? And of course I said, yes, <laughs> we can always do that. And so this individual responded with just extreme generosity. And we're able to sit down this past week with a single mom whose transmission shot, uh, tires are shot, car's got extreme amount of miles on it, and able to sit down and say to them, there's a person in the congregation that wants to remain anonymous that just wants you to know that God spoke to their heart and you're the one that needs this new vehicle. And that single mom sat there and in tears just said, you have no idea. I didn't know where the money was going to come from. The car has so many problems. I didn't know what to do. I don't know anything about cars. And the fact that this is it's just, I'm just overwhelmed in this moment. And I just want to brag on you as a congregation. And I just want to say to you, thank you. Thank you every time the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart that you respond. It's never, about, it's never about life, church. It's about the kingdom of God. And so with that generosity, man, great things are in store. And I just want to kind of give that praise report. And, and I just want to encourage you, whether it's this weekend or a year from now or two years from now or five years from now, when the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart to do something, it may even feel a bit extreme for someone else. Respond. Just do it. Listen, the devil will never ask you to do nice things, okay? So if you're ever going, is this God? Is this me? Is this like bad burrito? No, 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 no. The devil will never ask you to, to help someone out that's out in need. Just respond. And the God who has more than enough will supply your needs. Amen? We're going to get, amen. Give the Lord praise. That's good. Well, today we're starting this new series called PG, Parental Guidance. And uh, we're going to walk through in the next several weeks what the Bible has to say about godly parenting and raising godly kids and, and godly families. So I know that some of you in this room, you are single. And, um, and you, you're, there's not even anybody on the radar. Okay, so, and so I got that. And uh, some of you, though, you are up to your neck in raising kids. Some of you are starting families. Uh, some of you, are, um, some of you are, are, are empty nesters. I think there's going to be some biblical truths that I'm going to try over the course of this, this series to really bring to light. So, so don't check out on me, all right? Look at your neighbor and say, hey, man, stay engaged, right? Stay engaged. We're watching you, right? Right here, you know, right there. And so just stay connected because I do think there's going to be some things that are going to help you. And over the course of this series, we're going to talk about, do you ever feel as a parent that you're just too tired that you're just like, you're just too tired to, to discipline the child. You're just, I, I don't have the energy to keep up with this. How do you deal with that? What, what do you do in those moments? We're going to talk about things like, what should I be teaching my kids according to scripture? Uh, we're going to talk about things about, and, and I'm just going to tell you, your teenagers are going to hate this last week of the, of the series. They're going to try their best to keep you out of church this, that weekend. We're going to talk about technology and social media because in the last 10 years, this has revolutionized the way kids interact, how we interact. But, but some of you think that you're really up on it because you've got a Facebook page. <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you, but there's a whole lot more than Facebook. And, and, and so we're going to talk about Snapchat and Instagram and Twitter and everything else that you can imagine. And, and what you need to be doing to stay connected with your kids and where they go and how you can actually watch where they're going, what they're saying and to whom they're saying it to. And the kids are going to hate it. I'm telling you, your kids are actually going to hate me. I'm probably going to get hate mail from teenagers. Some junior high student, you ruined my life. And that's what I'm going to try to do. Because moms and dads, you need to be equipped. 
Because I'm telling you, we have a, an adversary, Satan himself, that does everything he can to steal, kill, and destroy not just your life, but your kids. And you better be aware, and you better be engaged. And so we're going to talk to you about some practical ways in which you can do that. So let, let, let me start this, this, this series off this way. Parenting is not about perfection. I want you to understand that. If you've never had a time where you thought, man, I probably was too hard on my kid about that, you've never really parented very long. If you've never had a day where you thought, you know what, I probably really should have dealt with that, you probably haven't been parenting very long. If you've had moments where you've gone, is that the right thing to say in this moment? You probably haven't been parenting that long. If you question sometimes, is that the right advice? What do I do? What does the Bible say? You're, you're in the right room. Because I'm telling you, none of us, myself included, I have a degree in theology. And, um, and at the end of the day, it, I'm just telling you, these kids don't come into the world with instruction manuals. Don't you wish they did? I mean, like the instruction manual that you get in your car, have you ever looked at how thick that is? Nobody reads that stuff. But it's just page after page after page after page. And I just wish my kids came into this world with like an instruction manual around their neck going, here's what happens. You know, when they're little and they're crying and you're going, I don't know what you're upset about. And, and if you could just talk to me, I, I could fix this. But they can't talk and you can't talk and, and everybody's, it, it's parenting. So there's, there's no such thing as perfect parenting. The second thing I want to tell you is Tammy and I are not perfect I don't, she's do a lot of messages on parenting. I used to know how to parent kids before I had them. Anybody else? <laughs> when I was a youth pastor, I could tell you how to raise your kids, how to be successful parents, six, six steps to godly kids. I don't talk like that anymore, okay? We don't do a lot of series, but, but this is a big question that gets asked, and so we want to address it. What does the Bible have to say about this subject? And the other thing I want to say is my kids are not perfect. And so you don't hear me, I, I have a deal with both of my daughters who are now, one's in middle school and one's in high school, that I don't use them as illustrations. Uh, and because, well, for practical, all right, I want to live in my house. Remember, I'm the only guy in my household. Please pray for me. I call it the Hormone Hilton. And so, <laughs> so we just had this deal that dad doesn't talk about that. Now, so, and, and if you know pastor's kids are not perfect. It's the deacon's kids that are really messed up, right? And so we all know that, but we don't want to pick on them either. So as we get into this uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to walk through this passage. And I want to deal with a foundational issue of what the Bible establishes as what godly parenting is. And I'm reminded in the book of Matthew when Jesus gave a parable, which is a story with meaning, about two houses that were built. And both houses were of equal quality, but the difference between the two houses is that one was built on a foundation that was of sand, and one was built on a foundation that was rock. And the Bible says that the winds came, and the winds blew, and the storm came, and the storm raged, and the waves beat against the house. And when the wind was subsided, when the waves calmed down, and when the storm was over, and the sun came out, and everything cleared, one of the houses was standing, the other one was destroyed. And the one that was standing was standing not because of the quality of the craftsmanship of the house, but because of the foundation it was built upon. And it's, that's, that's what I want to deal with you with today. Winds and waves and storms and crisis are going to beat against your home. They're going to beat against your kids. They're going to beat against your marriage. They're going to beat against you. None of us are perfect and none of us are immune. The reality, the difference is, is what is your house of your life built upon? Is it built upon shifting sand? Is it built upon solid rock? Is it built upon things that change and that move and that are up and that are down and that are variable? Or is it built upon something that is constant? 
And that's what I want to deal with today, the foundation of parenting. The, the first things first. I'm going to give you a definition. If you're taking notes, it'll be on the screen. The goal of parenting is to transfer a child's dependence from you to God. The goal of godly parenting, according to Scripture, I'm going to show you this in Deuteronomy in just a second, is to transfer a child's dependence from you to God. That's what your goal is. When they come into this world, mom and dad, they are completely dependent upon you. To feed them, to clothe them, to change them. You help them walk, you help them talk, you educate them, you indoctrinate them if you would, you, you speak into their life, you give them an example for life and for living, what, what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be a godly woman, what, it, what it, ha- it means to have a godly marriage, how do you live life, how do you make decisions, and there's a dependence that they have upon you. But at some point in time, uh, Billy or, or Sally, uh, they, they need to have that dependence taken off of you and onto God because you will not always be on this planet. You will not always be around. And you're not always going to be there. But the Bible says that God will. The Bible says that Jesus will be the one that will stick closer than a brother. The Bible says that Jesus will be the one that though the world may leave you and everybody else may fail, that he will always remain. So when you teach them how to take the dependence that they naturally have to you, that's the reason why the Bible so likens God and his characteristics to a father. Because we can identify with that. I know some of you had healthy backgrounds with fathers. Some of you not so much. And that's maybe a metaphor that you have to kind of work through. But the Bible does it in such a way that if we are godly parents, that that transfer of dependence from us onto God is natural. So I want to talk about where that's found in Scripture and how do we do that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. These commands or decrees and laws of God that your God directed me to teach you and to observe in the land that, you're, uh, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God for as long as you live. Before they went into the promised land, before the people of God went into the promised land to take a hold of the promise that God had given for them, the, 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 the teaching, the, the, the command to them was, don't forget what you've learned. And not only what you've learned and what I've given you through, through the law of God, but also that you may teach it to your children that as long as you live, as long as they live, the second, the third, and the fourth generation, that they don't forget the things of God, that they understand the things of God, and that they fear God. And fear God, that phrase is not a negative, intimidating phrase. It's not like I'm going to put the fear of God in you type of a phrase. It means to have respect, to have honor, to to adore, to worship, to give adulation to. That's what that means. And so... Not only does, the, does God want us as parents to have a healthy fear, a worship, a love for, a respect for, an adoration for God, but he wants us to transfer that to our children. So how do we do that? We're going to walk through this passage and we'll find. The first thing is, is that we teach our kids how to love God. We teach them how to love God. I know this sounds really simple, you know, my grandmother used to say, if it's new, it ain't true. So, I mean, it, there's nothing new under the sun. But, but I want to walk, how do you do that? Well, let's, let's read on in verse number 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Some of you are thinking, okay, that's Old Testament law, but I've heard that somewhere else before. Yeah, it's called the great commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's what Jesus said. 
If you do these two things, the entire law of God is summed up in loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's the essence, is to love God. So how do we love God? Well, as from a parenting perspective, how do we, how, how do we ourselves love and how do we ourselves? Because here's the deal is you can teach what you know, but you will reproduce in your kids who you are. You can say all day long, do as I say, not as I do. But they're going to follow your example, not your words. And if those two things are incongruent, they're going to follow your example, not your words. If those two things are congruent and they're the same and there's integrity and there's moral integrity behind what you say and how you live, then that impacts them, that, that influences them, that, that emphasizes the fact that the way we live and the way we talk are one and the same and they have a greater chance of doing that. But you will reproduce in your kids who and what you are. If you're explosive, that's what you're going to produce. If you're mean, that's what you're going to produce. If you're cowardly, that's what you're going to produce. If, if, you have, if you walk with a certain amount of meekness and peace and temperance and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit is in your life, according to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, that's what's going to be in your kids' lives because that's the example that they know. So the greatest way our kids see our love for God, one of which... I could argue this many ways, but it's going to church. It's the dedication to the house of God, to the things of God. And at first, they come with you, and they come in a car seat and in a stroller, and then, then they're able to walk in on their own, right? And, and then they go into Life Kids, and it just kind of graduates, and they're in third grade. And then all of a sudden, wow, they grew up, and, and now they're in middle school, and they're sitting in service with you. And they began to watch you. If you don't believe me, every time you see a new group of sixth graders that come in on a weekend service, watch them. For about the first six months to a year, they're not really interacting in the service because it's all new. They're watching the people that are around them. They're watching how you worship. They're watching if, if you sing. They're looking at your actions. They're trying to read to figure out what's going on. They're watching everybody in the room. Their antennas up. They're taking in all this information. Then they're hearing the preaching. And then they're looking at your life during the week to go, are you living what's being taught? And how realistic is this? And, and what's, they're trying to figure it out. But here's what they know. When they see you go to church and they see a value put on church and they see you at least attempting, again, parenting is not about perfection. Then it does something to them and it teaches them, here's a way that I show my love for God, that I forsake not the assembling of myself together in the house of God, according to the book of Hebrews. And so I want to show you something that's interesting, statistically proven, about when parents go to church and the effect that it has on their kids. So you're going to see these stats on the screen. Kids who become active Christ followers as adults. If the mom and dad both go to church and they take them to church, 72% of kids that are raised in a home where mom and dad both go to church on a regular, consistent basis, 72% of those kids will actively go to church as adults. It's pretty good. It's a C average, but it's good, right? It's better than an F, right? Okay? If only mom goes to church, 15% of those kids will actually go to church as adults. If only dad goes to church, 55% of those kids will go to church as adults. Men, you want to make your wife be the spiritual leader of your house? Statistically speaking, that holds no theological water, nor does it hold statistical water. They're looking at you and how you respond. If neither mom nor dad go to church, only 6% of kids who are raised in a home without mom and dad go to church, will they go to church as an adult? Those are sobering statistics. 
So dad, if you say, oh, let, let's just let mom take you to church. You know, I think it's important that the kids get raised in the fear and the admonition of God. Let's let mom do it. And they defer that responsibility. And you basically shirk your responsibilities as, as a leader of your home men. And you're, you greatly, by 60%, diminish the ability of your kids being able to experience that as adults. Because they're looking at you. If you're a single mom and you're, listen, let me, let, me, let me encourage some of you single moms that are in the room. You can't help that. God hears your prayers. And those are just statistics. And you can't overcome them. Do you understand? And there's nothing you can do. And I'm a big believer. Don't cry over things that you have no ability to control. It's a prayer of serenity. Lord, help me to, to release the things I cannot control and only, only focus on the things that I can and give me the wisdom of the difference between the two. However, I'm talking to some of you dads that you actually stumbled into church today? Woo! Man, he's preaching now. Some woman just went, wham, he's talking to you. Wake up. You make a difference. And moms, you make a difference. Because there are single dads here that for whatever reason, for whatever excuse that mom's concocted, she's never at church. It makes a difference. It makes a difference. And so, and I'm saying this because you have to ask yourself the question, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? And if you do, it's going to come out in your church attendance. I know this is quiet. I know this, but just hear me out on this. In America today, we in America, an evangelical church, Protestant church in America today, it's probably the same thing in Catholic churches as well. It may be... Here's what I know. People that attend church once every three weeks consider themselves regular attenders. Once every three weeks. Now, I'm not beating up on you, okay? And I know some of you are empty nesters, right? And I get, I get it. I'm not, right? I think you need to go on vacation. I'm not here every Sunday, okay? I'm not. I think you need to have time where you and your wife get away. I get all that. But I'm t- what I'm saying, though, is that's not some big, bad statistic of some horrible church down the street. That's true at Life Church. That people that consider themselves regulars attenders of Life Church attend, on average, once every three weeks. If you do better than that, man, you're at the top of the food chain. But for most of us in the room, that's, that's the case. And I just want to challenge you, especially if you have kids. There's always going to be something in this world that's going to try to get your attention. Some sports event, some activity, some something. But at some point in time, you have to say, hey, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Or we won't. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm just telling you the truth. And I know what I'm saying is countercultural. And I know what I'm saying some of you think is very subjective because I'm the pastor. But I'm telling you, if I were, I didn't learn this. I didn't learn this in a minister's home. I grew up, my father was a United Auto Worker Union employee, uh, built air conditioners for a living, and and a factory man. And every time the church doors were open, It didn't matter what was going on. We were going. It didn't matter if I had to leave football practice early to get there on Wednesday night. That's what we did because my dad believed in the fact that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what God's word says, and this is what we're going to do. And some of us go, that's fanatical, and that's pushing. I'm just telling you, the reality is I'm in church today, because I not because of a minister, not because of a youth pastor, not because of a cool church, but because of a father 
who with the help of a belt would make me go to church. And I'm not telling you to beat your kids, so don't send me emails on that, okay? How do you know if you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Psalm 63.1. You, God, are my God. And earnestly I seek you. And I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. Does that describe your longing for God? Look at those words again. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. Do you? I thirst for you. Do you? My whole being longs for you. Does it? In a dry and a parched land where there is no water. We have to be lovers of God to produce that in our kids. The second thing that Deuteronomy teaches us is that we have to lead our family. We have to lead our family. Let's read on in verse 6, 8, and 9. These commands that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts, to impress them upon your children, to talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road or you drive in your car. When you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, let me, let me help you understand something. And I'm going to explain what this is in a, in, a, in a cultural context that we get it. But in the Old Testament, they would take the, the decrees of God and the laws of God, and they would literally write them on blocks, and then they would, would wrap them uh, uh, um, around their hands or their wrists, they would write them on doorposts. They would write them on their forehead. They, they, they would do things, and it was, it was a memorizational device. The way you may use a flashcard or the way you use a screensaver every time you open your computer to remind you of something or, or the way you use a, you know, what, it's, 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 it's a memory device to remind you, oh, don't forget to, oh, don't forget this. Because in life, we are going so fast, whether you're talking about Old Testament or in the 21st century, that things are happening so fast that we have to be reminded of these things. We know them cognitively, but we need to be reminded. And so what, 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 what Deuteronomy is saying to us is at the end of the day, we have responsibility as parents to teach and to train our children, to lead them. They're not going to find this on their own. They're, they're, yes, they're going to have to experience God for themselves, but we need to lead them. And so as parents, we're to lead them. What's the best way to lead your kids? You, you can't make them. They're, they're free moral agents. The greatest thing you can do to lead your family to love God is to create a hunger and a thirst for God in your home. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And when you begin to love God, mom and dad, then you begin to create an environment in your home and in the atmosphere, whether you're driving along in your car, whether you're walking along the road, whether you're sitting at home, whether you're wherever you are, that, 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 that desire for the things of God, that hunger for the things of God, from what's on the radio to what's on the television to what the conversation is around the dinner table to where you go to what you do to how you act. And again, we're not talking about perfection here, but we're striving for this. It begins to create this, and it begins to create this hunger. And when you begin to create this hunger, what happens with your kids, it doesn't become about a list of do's and don'ts. It naturally begins to connect with them. It naturally begins to develop in them because you're teaching and training them. You're talking about the things of God and you're doing this. So practically, Aaron, how do you create this type of hunger, this type of environment in your home? Well, let me give you a couple of, 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 of tips here and basically just kind of springboarding off of verses uh, seven, uh, eight, uh, 6, 7, and 8. First of all, talk about it. Talk about it. 
Talk about the things of God. Well, when you pick up your Kids from Life kids today, whether you're at the West Campus, whether you're at the Appleton Campus, whether you're at Germantown Campus, ask them, hey, what'd you learn? Ask them what they learned. Because if they've been in Life Kids, they've got a, a story. They've got, we, we do a systematic theology on an 18-month system that repeats itself redundantly because there's certain key stories and key passages that we want your kids so that from the time they're toddlers all the way to the time that they go through the fifth grade, they will have gone through the material about four times. It's very intentional what we do. It looks like a lot of fun. It looks like a bunch of fluff. I love it when I get emails from people. Your kids' ministry is such a joke. All it is is video games, and I just want to go, you have no clue the, the intentionality behind what we do because kids, students, are social before they're spiritual. So we engage the social, and it opens them up, and then they have their own experience on their own level. But there is a memory verse every week. There's, there's a lesson every week. There's a Bible story every week. And we're systematically, it's systematic theology. It's very much put through, and, and that we're, we're walking them through because we want them to know the great stories of the Bible. We want them to have a testimony of what God did and what God can do. We want to give them scripture verses that continues to instill the word of God in their hearts that as they're old, they won't depart from it. We want to instill the word of God in their heart so that, so that they don't sin against God. We're trying to partner with you, mom and dad, to do that. So ask them, what do they learn? If they go, I don't know. Then say, I'm going to ask you next week. Ask them again. I don't know. And if I get that a couple weeks, then I'll email the, the kids pastor myself. Not me. I walk down to their office. But, but hey, you know, my kids have come home and they, they have no clue. Are you teaching them? What, what is this about? And again, you have to remember, I cut my teeth on, in ministry on student ministries. So I've done kids' ministry. I've done outreach, sidewalk, Sunday school in inner cities. I've done bus ministry. I've, I, I have done, out, I, you name it, in, in high school, junior high, middle school, Tammy and I, we've done this, taught Sunday school classes, done all this kind of stuff. And so this is a big passion to me because if kids are going to get it, they're going to get it by the time they're 15 years of age. 80% of converts come to faith in Christ by the, by the age of 15. When I started in the youth ministry 20 years ago, it was 18. It, it goes lower on a regular basis all the time because the, 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 the society is going so rapidly, so fast. Sit and talk to your kids. Ask them questions. And if you don't feel like you're getting the feedback, email us. If you don't get a response from somebody else, email me, Aaron at LifeChurchGermantown.com. Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, just like in the Bible. Not E-R-I-N, that's a girl's name, and I'll be offended. <laughs> at LifeChurchGermantown.com, and we will follow up. I won't follow up, but I will, I will forward it to the person that needs to, and I'll make sure that they CC me on it, we'll make sure that it gets where it needs to go. Because it's important to me that your kids are raised in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, and we're coming alongside of you. But you need to ask them about it. Talk to them about it. And the other thing that they need to see from you is, hey, you know what? I was reading in the Bible today. Here's what I learned today. Hey, you know what? I, I was watching this sermon online, or you know what? I was reading this book, and th this is, do you say that to your kids? I'm telling you, part of the love that I have for God's word came from coming in on a Friday night or a Saturday night from a day to my dad sitting in his, in his chair that I didn't get to sit in. And I'm still getting over that. And he had a, a, a brown Thompson chain reference Bible. My dad would just read the Bible. My dad's not a demonstrative person. I've seen my dad cry just a handful of times in my life, I think three to be exact, or twice. And uh, my dad's not a very demonstrative guy in worship, so don't get this idea that he's like, wow, that's my mom. My dad's the steady Eddie. My mom is like Miss Sanguine, you know. There's a party where? And, and so the reality is, is that you've got to talk about this stuff. 
you have to initiate this stuff. And this isn't something, gentlemen, that you can relegate to your wife. This is a full contact sport. So you, mom and dad, have to do that. The second thing is make church a priority. And I've already discussed this. I'm not going to harp on this. But if you treat it like it's an elective, so will your kids. If you treat it like it's an option, so will your kids. And I understand there's soccer tournaments, there's basketball, there's this, there's that. There's always going to be something. There is always going to be something. You are a grown adult. You choose. But my kids just don't understand, and they're friends. Oh, my stinking goodness. When did our kids wind up running our lives, right? No, they don't. The last time I looked, the master bedroom is a room that I sleep in. Yeah, because I pay the bills. Yeah, because I own their lives. Yeah, they're like indentured servants until I get done with them. Do you understand? Because they don't understand what's right and wrong. They don't, get, they don't have full context. That's why you're the parent. So lead them. And, and, and let me say this too, and I'm going to go to my, my, my last suggestion and then we'll be done. Don't church hop. I meet people that, where do you go to church? Well, they go about four or five churches. Life Church is one of them. Another church is another one. Another church is another one. They just kind of, they're just kind of, because they, they just can't pick. You are going to make your kids spiritually schizophrenic. I'm telling you. Find a church that you identify with mostly because you won't identify with any church 100%. I pastor this church and don't agree with everything we do. No, I'm just teasing. But do you understand what I'm saying? And so the reality is, is find a place that you go. This is where my wife and I or, or I or whatever, whoever constitutes your home, and we feel like this is where we're supposed to be, and then become planted there because no church is perfect, neither are you, and churches are going to go through seasons of good times and bad times. Things are going to happen. But find a church and raise your kids in that church. Raise your kids there. You're teaching them a value. If every time someone offends you or someone overlooks you or someone marginalizes you, intentional or unintentional, because it will happen. I'm just telling you. I'm telling you I do this for a living. If I have yet not offended you, let me say to you, even online, I'm sorry. Because it's going to happen at some point in time. It's not intentional. It's just the nature of human beings. And so the reality is, is every time that that happens, you leave and you go somewhere else, you're teaching your kids. You don't like what they're teaching? Just go someplace else. I'm not saying if it's unbiblical. You, you, you don't like, just go someplace else. I, I like to say this. Church is kind of like a buffet. Church services. You're not going to like everything. Just hang on to your tray. We're going to get right on it. It's like going to a golden corral. We're going to get to the chocolate fountain in a minute. Just hang on. You understand? You don't like the Brussels sprouts. That's right. But somebody does. So let them have the Brussels sprouts. We're getting to the mac and cheese in just a second, all right? The taco bar is just around the corner. Does this scare you that I know my way around golden corral? Find a place. And let me help you with this. If you're here today and you go, man, Life Church is not that place. I mean this with all sincerity. For the sake of you and your family, then find where it is. And if you don't know, ask me. I'll help you. Crossway, Jason Esposito, here in Germantown, is a great church. Mike Balenci at Northbrook is a great pastor and a phenomenal church. There, there are churches, pastors, people I can help you with. Because it's not a bad look. The people that are supposed to be here are going to be here. People that aren't supposed to be here, they're not going to stick anyhow. So it's not about trying to convince you that this is the greatest place. I think it is, but it's not for everybody. 
But find a place that is for you and make that commitment and raise your kids there. Last thing I want to say about creating a hunger for God in our homes is serving together. Find a place in which you can serve together. Let your kids see you serving. And then also a great opportunity is second Saturday. Whether you're at the West Campus or the Appleton Campus or in the Germantown Campus, or you're even online and you want to pick a campus to, to serve with, the second Saturday, that's what we call it, second Saturday, of every single month, starting in the morning, we do some type of servanthood project that you and your family can be a part of. And if you want more details on that today, on your communication card, you can simply check off the box and say, I want information about Second Saturday. We will email you the information or, or contact you with the information, with, with the contact information that we have on you, and we'll follow up with you so that you and that your kids can go. Because ministry and a passion and a heart for God is not just taught, it's caught. It's caught. Because here's what happens. When you begin to create this hunger for God, you as a parent can stop focusing so much on the rules. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't do drugs. Better be home by midnight. Because what you've done is you've instilled a thirst for righteousness in your kids. And you don't have to tell them to be good when they're pursuing the one who is good. That's what parenting is about. It's about connecting your kids with the creator of the universe. It's about leading them to a place where they can experience God for themselves. And it's about being an example, not a perfection. Can I just tell you, outside of Jesus, none of us learn from perfection. We learn from failure. We don't learn from our successes. Our successes inflate our egos. Our successes inflate our, 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 our persona of ourself. Our, our, it, it, it feeds our, our, our arrogance. But it's in our failures where his strength is perfected. And your kids are going to see that in you. And you might as well lean into it and admit it. And not wallow in it. But admit when you're wrong and go ahead because they need to understand, here's how I lead real life. Here's how I live real life. I know I give my dad as an illustration, but, but I'm telling you, I didn't learn this stuff from some Bible school, PhD, doctoral professor. I learned this stuff from a man who wasn't perfect, but he lived it. And I say that because most of you in this room, that's you. You're going to get up at 5 a.m. Tomorrow you're going to go to work, whether it's to an office or whether it's to a factory. And you're going to work and you're going to do everything you can to love your spouse and to raise your kids with the fear and admonition of the Lord. And you're not perfect. And when you make mistakes, just admit it. I'll never forget my dad sitting in front of that 1980 silver Chevrolet pickup truck with a manual transmission with a column three speed sitting there when I came in one day from high school saying to me, son, I blew it. I overreacted to something. And I got upset with you, and I got explosive with you, and I'm sorry. I was 16 years old. My dad doesn't admit that he's wrong much, and he'll tell you the reason why he doesn't is because he's not wrong. But, but it stuck in my head. We make mistakes. But it's about us pursuing God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and letting our kids be around to see that. They'll catch it. That's the reason why the Bible says that when you train up a child in the way that they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Because sometime 
Here's the thing, and I'm gonna say this and be done. That's amazing to me about the presence of God. Wherever I've gone in the world, and I've walked into a room where people are praising God, I may not understand the language, I may not understand the, the words to the song that they're singing, but it's the same intangible presence of the person of the Holy Spirit in that room. Wherever you go in the world, whether you're outside Nairobi and you're under a bush, under, out, out in the bush and you're under a tree and it's an outdoor service and you don't understand anything that's going on, but you sense the presence of God. Or you walk into a church in Chennai, India, where there's 50,000 worshipers and there's a thousand for each floor and you just get to walk in and they're jam-packed in and you begin to hear the presence of God and you don't understand, but you know it's the presence of God. Or you're in a house church in communist China. Or, or, or you're in Germantown, Wisconsin on a Sunday morning and you begin to feel the presence of the Lord. And what happens is you've trained your kids. You've raised your kids. They've sensed that. They've been around that. They have been injected with that. And wherever they go in the world, whenever they encounter that, they'll know that's God. That's God. That's the truth. That's the way my parents raised me. That's the God of the Bible. And at some point, some way along the journey, they'll sneak into a, a church. They'll go to a meeting. They'll be in a place. And they'll encounter a person with that same presence. And they'll respond. They will respond because you've created that in their life. Because you've taken the dependence upon yourself from them to transfer it to a dependence upon God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today for your presence of the Holy Spirit that I sense right here. And the amazing thing is, is that it's not bound by time or place. You are omnipresent, which means right now at the West Campus, that same Holy Spirit is there. And at Appleton, it's there. And at every home, that's in every desktop computer, it's there. Every mobile device that's streaming this live around the world, it's there because you are not bound by the constraints that we are. And I pray, oh Father, that you, oh God of the universe, Jesus Christ, Son of God, would penetrate our hearts and our lives right now and help us as moms and dads to teach and to train, to live not in perfection, but in reality, in shoe leather, in Monday morning sermons, to live this life out in front of our kids and allow them to see the struggles, allow them to, to walk through the journey, allow them to learn how to trust in you, oh God, and to build that foundation, which is only found in you, Jesus. I pray this today for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.